First uh, Thessalonians. Yeah, I know I planned on something else, but every now and then what you plan on does not come to fruition for whatever reason that is. I, I sense an, a need uh, to uh, be in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I think part of the reason is last week's message, the part dealing with the cup of wrath, the cup that Jesus would drink, the cross was that cup, dying on the cross, experiencing death by crucifixion. And the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You go back into the Old Testament. The cup. So often is. Bound with God's wrath. His judgment. That he would pour it forth. And we settled on this issue. That on the cross. Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath. For believers. He tasted that wrath. He drank it down. For us. That's what he did. So that. When it comes time for God the Father to pour out his wrath. On a wicked world. We would escape that wrath. And there is coming that day. And these scriptures talk about that. So we'll read read the text there. Three verses. Beginning there, verse 8. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living And true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus. Who rescues us. There it is. From the wrath to come. Father in heaven. We are so thankful for your word. We have your word because you are you are the God who speaks to us. You haven't turned your back on us. You haven't forgotten about us. 
you speak to us. And so, Lord, thank you. Now, may we today derive understanding from what you've said. In fact, Lord, that we would not only understand, but that we would receive That, that your word would be brought home to our hearts, that we would, we would follow you in full conviction of everything these three verses talk about. And that we would, we would follow you in, in, in enduring wicked days, that without uh, capitulation, without... Compromise, Lord, that we would not fall into the ways of the world, but that we would stand for you on the solid rock, the rock of revelation of Jesus and who he is. So we give you thanks for this time and we thank you for what you're going to do and what you have done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's writing to this church that sprung up in Thessalonica, this uh, Greek area, Macedonia and Achaia. Paul's writing back to them. Some speculate he's writing from Corinth. Encouraging words. You know, you compare some of his letters. 1 Corinthians that Corinthian church, there was a lot going on there. And a lot of that word that Paul wrote to them was for correction. This church in Thessalonica, there's, there's a lot of instruction here. There's a lot of encouragement for those people living in Thessalonica. This church, uh, well, as I like to say, every church is going to be known for something. I mean, you go over to Revelation and look at those seven letters that John wrote to these churches. They're all known for something. A church at Ephesus, what they, they left their first love. One of the churches he wrote to, he says... Listen to this one. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. It's snowing. First snow of the year, I guess, right? But he tells that church, you have a name that you're alive. You have a reputation among the people that you're alive, but in actuality, you're dead. And Paul tells them to repent of their deadness and stop propping up on their reputation. And he writes to other churches, they all known for something. This church was known for something. Interestingly, the church at Thessalonica doesn't pop up in those seven letters that John wrote in the book of Revelation. This is a church that was a solid church. And I think the first clue there is in verse 8. For the word of the Lord. Has sounded forth from you. 
So Paul recognizes the good work that God had done in their midst. They had received the gospel that Paul had explained to them. Paul had given evidence that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and they had received that. And evidently they had continued in the word of God. They had continued as a strong fellowship of of the saints. They loved the Lord. They congregated. They participated in the Lord's Supper. When one was born again, that person was following the Lord in baptism. This is a strong church. They're following the word of the Lord. And, And all of this has the mark of apostolic authority upon it. This is the Apostle Paul recognizing these things. They're a strong church. They're a church that is built on the word of the Lord. And he says, Paul says, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, so he's thinking spatially, He says, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. And then Paul says this very surprising statement. He says, so that we have no need to say anything. Now for a preacher to come to the conclusion that he has no need to say anything is quite remarkable. But he's, he's simply... Highlighting the fact that their faith is strong and their faith is going forth. He says, he uses the the phrase sounded forth. It's moving forth. It's going abroad. It's it's not staying in the same place. Yeah, it's affected Macedonia and Achaia, those areas close by, but it's going everywhere. The word of God is spreading the message of Jesus, the grace of God through Jesus. The fact that Jesus died and lives again, that good news is being spread. Why is that such good news? Because death is our last enemy and Jesus Christ has conquered death. That's good news. So this word of the Lord sounding forth, and we have to ask ourselves, why? I mean, what was it? And Paul points to specific things here in verses 9 and 10 that characterize these Thessalonian believers. And he gives this, that, that word there in verse 9, that first word, for. Now, you see that he's, he's about to give us a rationale for what he just said in verse 8. The word is, of the Lord has sounded forth from you. I mean, this church is grounded in the word. They love the word of God. They recognize the word of God for what it truly is. And that is the word of almighty God instruction coming from him. The evidence of Christ's incarnation. His death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And then the expectation, the earnest expectation of his soon return. All of that. So he says, for they themselves. Now he's speaking of that that church. 
And, and verse 9, embedded in verse 9 is this, uh, they have fond memories of when Paul was with them. I want to ask you something. I want you to remember that time that you received Jesus as your Savior. There should be a time. You should be able to remember a time when that happened. Now, do you have fond memories of that time? Because I can think back. I, I, I can... If the church building, the church building is still there, it's just a bigger building where I was, but I was seated on the back pew. That's where I sat. My family sat up closer to the front and I sat in the back. But I remember those days of conviction. I remember those days of preaching. I can tell you, uh, I can tell you that God sent an angel. His name was Angel Martinez. He's the preacher. And I, and I can tell you that he preached that, that, yes, out of God the Father's great love, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. He preached that. That's true. He also preached that if you don't receive Jesus, there's eternal wrath upon your head. He preached that. And that is true as well. I remember those days. I remember the struggle. I remember all of that. And I remember thinking, this is, this is right. This is true. Holy Spirit convicting me. I remember the deacon. I'd be leaving church. I was like first one out. Sitting near the door. And that deacon Jack. He had the most firm handshake of any deacon I've ever met. I didn't know if he was going to let go or just crush my hand. But he'd always say this. He'd say, I'm praying for you. And you know what I knew? I knew if, he, if Jack told me he's praying for me, he, you know, he'd look you in the eye. I'm praying for you. And, and he'd give you that firm handshake. I knew he's praying for me. All I'm saying is this. I trust you have fond memories of coming to Christ. Don't ever forget that. Because what that is, is it's the grace of God revealed in your life. It's the grace of God from heaven that allowed you and I to come to a knowledge of the truth. It was God's intent that that happened. So he's telling them, he said, you know, you're a church, you're a dynamic church there in Thessalonica. We have no need to say anything. They, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. So they would think back to when Paul was with them. What kind of entrance? What kind of reception? How did this go? We read it a while ago from Acts Chapter 17. Remember that reception? Well, those Thessalonian believers had revival. They had the reception of the word of God. And they experienced as well the opposition around them. Oh, you don't want to hang out with those folks because they they're the ones that are turning the world upside down. Upside down for what? Well, for the truth's sake. For Jesus. 
And so he's saying they have these fond memories. I trust you have those fond memories of God's dealing with you during those days. He says that of a, what kind of reception we had with you. And I like this part. And how you turned to God. There we go. This is a wonderful description of what it means to believe in God, to trust Jesus. You turn to him. So simple turning to God. To acknowledging God. And what did they turn from? As we listen to the squeaky sound. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> How you turn to God from idols. Look at that. From idols. So evidently, this is a, this is a city there in Greece. And, and these people as citizens of that city... Being in that country, evidently they had idols. You know, the the Gentiles were known for their idols. They had many idols. And Paul says, he's remembering, he's recollecting. He says, you turned to God from idols. So they're just experiencing their way of life and their worship of idols. These inventions of man's hands or inventions of man's imaginations. These idols. And they were serving these idols. They were believing, acknowledging, trusting Idols, idol worship, the work of man's hands, the work of man's imagination. And Paul says they turn to God from those idols. In another part, I think it's Peter who says in describing salvation, he says you've, uh, you've turned from your futile way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. To the living God. Yeah, that makes sense too. Because life apart from God. Is nothing more and nothing less. Than futility. The writer of Ecclesiastes. You want to read that, read that book. Read that uh, piece of literature. He's going to talk about vanity. Emptiness. Life apart from God, life apart from Jesus is nothing more than vanity. It is emptiness. If you're serving idols, well, what would those be? I mean, these, these ancient cities, they actually had, I mean, they'd have statues and, you know, larger statues and all kinds of statues. And they would actually gather and they would worship these idols I don't know that we see a lot of statues, but we have a lot of stuff. 
And there's one idol that's really prevalent in our day. Could you guess? Starts with an S. Well, self. But that's a that's a good I yeah. Self. Life apart from God, you know, man generally thinks, well, I'm I'm center of my world. Living for me, living according to my understanding of things, living according to my motivations, my innate impulses, and all of that out of a depraved life. Fully sinful life. And, and anything you are, you know, you're attempting is, is grasping at straws. And ultimately is vanity. It will come to nothing. It is like the chaff that the wind blows away. But these people, when they heard the good news, and they heard the evidence that Paul gave them. We read about that in Acts 17. The evidence for Christ's suffering, the evidence for his not only his death, but his resurrection from the dead, they turned from those idols, from the idol of self. Anything, what, is, what does the Bible say? What does the old Bible say? It says, God told men, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But man's way is to put God's In front of the true living God. And you and I need to make sure that we're in the culture in which we live. We don't elevate self. Above the true and living God. We sing a song. Cast down every idol. Whatever that thing is that comes between you and God. These people turn to God from idols. Meaning they stopped worshiping the idols. They stopped living for the idols. They stopped their superstitious thinking and their superstitious behavior that was oriented around these idols and they turned to God. They heard the truth and they turned to God. That's why we preach. So that we can hear the truth, stop serving idols, and turn to God. So they turn to God. That sounds to me like repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. There's a deep sorrow For the sin of idolatry. And at the same time, there's a turning in faith to Jesus. To God. And he says, they did this with a purpose. By the way, this isn't just a one-time event. It is one time, but it's got continuing results. It has a beginning. The turning. And then he says, to serve a living and true God. I like uh, the psalmist over here in Psalm 115. He's got a great little uh, character sketch of these idols. 
he talks about idols and how, how important they are. We'll start, we can start in verse 3. The psalmist, well, let's just start in verse 1 because it's there and it's good. He says, not to us, O Lord, this is Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Boy, those are good reasons to glorify God because of his loving kindness outpoured on us. You know, it is a mark of God's loving kindness that you and I have a Bible open, the truth before us, and that we're hearing the truth proclaimed. That is a mark of God's loving kindness. And he says, because of your truth, there is truth in our day. The culture we live in does not believe in absolute truth. What do they believe in? They believe in what's true for you. Whatever you're believing, that's good for you. And that's just a bold-faced lie. We believe in absolute truth, the truth of God's word. Somebody said, well, you know, I believe it. You know, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, not really. God said it. That settles it. I need to come along and believe it. This is the truth of almighty God. Well, we got to get to this song. Why should the nation say... And by the way, they have no shortage of things to say. Where now is their God? Well, we can tell them. Verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. There, the there, there in verse 4, is the nations in verse 2. Their idols are silver and gold. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. That's the truth. That's the truth. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, these idols, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them, here it is, will Become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. See, this is what the Lord does. What do those idols do? What are, they, what are they capable of? Zero. Zero. And those who make them, those who worship them, those who follow them, those who get caught up in that superstitious lifestyle 
That lifestyle that's out of order and it puts a creator in the back seat instead of the front. Listen, what happens to them? Uh, they become just like the idol. Good for nothing. I remember working for a man way back in the day. He, uh, I was, I don't know what you'd call my job. Just, I guess my job was do whatever he told me to do. I remember he and his wife Sally, they'd, they'd, go to, they'd go to Thailand every year and come back. And to my chagrin, he would always bring back about a 200-pound Buddha. And he'd set it out in his pool area, and it was my job to keep the cobwebs off of it. I can tell you right now, those idols, they can't do a thing. That Buddha, I don't know how many times I'd take a duster, get the cobwebs off, and think, this thing is nothing but dead weight. Listen. You think your idol would help you in the day of distress? You think these idols would save anybody? No. Silver? Gold? No. He says, oh, Israel, he's speaking to you and me today. Trust, here it is, trust in the Lord. The Lord is our help and shield. He says it again. He is our help and shield. You fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is our help and shield. Who is our help and shield? The Lord is our help and shield. He is mindful of us. Do you think those idols think about? No, they don't think. They don't do anything. Uh, the Lord is mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless his church. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed to the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do they go down into silence. But as for us, we're not going to be idol worshipers. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Praise God. It's just, it's, the idols are worthless and useless. Now, we got to finish. So they turn to God from idols to do what? To serve. So they turn to God to serve a living and true God there in verse 9. This is very simple description of the Christian life. We turn to God, we love God, we grow in our love for God. It's not perfect, we sin. And if we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus our Lord. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin that we continue our walk with him. A fellowship together. That's important. But we are serving a living and true God. The God of the Bible, the living and true God. And, and this is important and, and this is, I love the way he breaks down 
the Christian life. It's a turning to God. It's a turning from idols to God to serve a living and true God. To love him, to follow him, to please him, to be involved in the congregation of saints, to learn of him, to pray, to read scripture, to fellowship with one another. There it is in verse 10. And there's one more thing to wait. What are we waiting for? For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's how he can return. That's how he comes. He's, He's alive. Jesus is alive. He left an empty tomb. He's the resurrected Lord. That is Jesus who does what? Here it is. Who rescues us from what? From what? The wrath to come. There's a wrath coming on wickedness. On a world of wickedness, there is a wrath coming And those who have trusted Christ, those who have turned to God from idols, escape the wrath of God. How do we escape? Jesus, there it is in verse 10, rescues us from the wrath to come. So a couple things. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on the wickedness, on the wicked and on the wickedness of this world. And Jesus is bringing that wrath. It is of utmost importance for you and for me, for all, to make sure that they are right with the Lord, to make their calling and election sure, to make sure they're properly aligned with the Lord, that those idols have been cast down and that we serve this one true God because he is the only hope of rescue from the wrath to come. There is a wrath coming on wickedness. There is judgment coming. Now, I don't know when that judgment is coming, but I will say this. If you turn over to Revelation... And it's the last chapter. It's over there in chapter 22. By the way, I had a wonderful opportunity this morning to teach Sunday school to our youth. So we had eight here in class, highly attentive youngsters. Um, had, most of them had their Bible with them, and uh, they were they're learning to navigate their Bible, and they were, it was a wonderful class. And this was one of the, the scriptures in that lesson. Right here in Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. I want you to hear this and, and, and grasp the import of what Christ is saying here. He says, behold. Now, when we see that word behold, we, we must pay attention. We must see it. See what he's saying. He says, I am coming quickly. Now listen, you and I, from a human perspective, are going, well, this has been about a little over 2,000 years ago, so quickly? Here's what we, here, we're too human. No, we're, it's all right to be human, but think about this. As human beings, we are constrained by time and space. He is not. 
When he says quickly, he means quickly. And I'm a, I, I've got news for you. Everybody's raving about all this 5G. God's much faster than 5G. Wow. Yeah, he is. He is. He says, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Does that mean salvation is by works? Properly understood, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. It is not of a man's invention. And as a result of salvation, God has prepared works that we will walk in. That we will accomplish in his power, by his word, through his spirit. He will give every man according to what he has done. And then Jesus says this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, first word of the Greek alphabet, first letter, omega, last letter of the Greek alphabet. So Jesus is saying, I'm the beginning and the end. And and being above and beyond time, I think all that's kind of scrunched up. I mean, it's not very uh, scholarly language, but he's beyond that. So he's beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. There it is, the beginning and the end and everything in between is Jesus. And he has assured us that he is coming quickly. Uh, and speaking of quickly, i got to finish this. First uh, Thessalonians, each chapter of that first letter ends with a reference to his return. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Over here in chapter 3, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4, it's that classic passage bringing before our eyes the great catching away of the believers. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's fallen asleep is a reference to dying. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. By the way, that's a shout of victory. That's a conquering shout. Our conquering warrior, Jesus, will shout. There'll be the shout and there'll be the voice of the archangel. And and there'll be the trumpet of God. And all of that is the sound of ultimate victory 
in Jesus. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. The catching away together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And the comfort is that this is the great rescue operation of Jesus. That is in store for the saints. We will not endure his wrath. He will bring us home to himself. We will ultimately, the believers, will be rescued from the wrath to come. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for helping me this morning. Now God, there is, as we would say, spiritual business that is taking place today in our hearts. I pray that you help us to receive your word. And Lord, Should there be one here who does not know you, I pray that through the word and through the convicting power of your spirit, that they would come to know Jesus this very day. And then God, I thank you for the assurance that we have as believers that you you do not forget us. You will never turn your back on us. You will... You will bring us safely home. You will rescue us from the wrath to come. We thank you for that. Thank you for that assurance. Thank you for that promise. We rejoice today in Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Please stand turn number 542, Lord be glorified.